This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. You may have noticed the cover a few weeks back of New Scientist magazine. On that cover, there was an article titled, Amazing Missing Links, Creatures That Reveal the Real Power of Evolution, or at least that was how they paraphrased the article by Dr. Donald Prothro about the missing links in evolution, or more importantly, the lack of those in the fossil record. If you are a regular listener to this program, you note that we have uh, little use for the nonsense being spouted by the creationists of the world. Having received a degree in biological sciences from this fine institution here at UC Davis, uh, at a time when we had a couple of the world's most notable evolutionary biologists, that being G. Ledyard Stebbins and Theodosius Dobzhansky here on our genetics department staff, well, I, I just find it hard to have a lot of patience for some of the nonsense that is spouted. So, in our second segment today, we will uh, delve into that. Stick around. I promise you it'll be worth your while. All right, let us begin this program as we like to do with On This Date in History, which in our case today is March 20th. Today marks the vernal equinox. Actually, it was, it was last night, just before midnight, but uh, this marks the approximate time of year in which we have equal day and night. Although if you really want to get technical, you get equal day and night actually about the 17th, a few days before the vernal and after the autumnal equinox because the sun's rays do get bent around the curvature of the Earth just a tad. But anyway, it's officially the first day of spring, which will last until the summer solstice on June 21st. Let's examine what happened on this date back in history. It was on March 20th in 1727 that the English physicist and mathematician, and really the greatest scientist in history, Sir Isaac Newton, the leading figure of the 17th century scientific revolution, died in London. Although E equals mc squared, the Einsteinian equation may be the most famous in the world, F equals ma may be the most useful. And we owe that equation to Sir Isaac. And uh, Sir Isaac, we salute you. On March 20th in 1854, American anti-slavery activists founded the Republican Party in order to fight the spread of slavery into the Western territories of the United States. And it is hard to believe in retrospect that uh, the Republican Party actually was founded to advocate for human rights, civil rights, and against slavery. My, how things changed a bit uh, subsequently. And that may be a bit unfair, but certainly in the last generation or generation and a half, the uh, Republican Party has not exactly been in the vanguard of civil rights. On this date in 1900... The Serbian-American inventor Nikola Tesla received a patent for the wireless transmission of electricity. Tesla is one interesting guy, and we've been meaning to have a show on him at some point, but we haven't gotten around to it, but uh, sometime in 08, we'll see what we can do. And of course, as you no doubt have noticed from reading the news, today is the fifth anniversary of American hostilities with the nation of Iraq. It began with an attack against targets in Baghdad uh, using American cruise missiles and planes. We will have a thing or two to say about uh, this fiasco in the Middle East, now entering its sixth year a little bit later. 
All right, our quote of the day, and actually today we have several. Our first quote of the day comes from legendary entertainer Oscar Levant, who once said, The only difference between the Democrats and the Republicans is the Democrats allow the poor to be corrupt too. Our second quote of the day comes from the also legendary Mao Zedong, who once said, Politics is war without bloodshed, while war is politics with bloodshed. And our third quote of the day comes from the recently departed Arthur C. Clarke, who actually passed away since our last program, and we'll talk about that in our third segment. But uh, Mr. Clarke once said, The best measure of a man's honesty isn't his income tax return, it's the zero adjust on his bathroom scale. And our quip of the day comes from a surprising source. This would be George W. Bush, who upon advising John McCain on choosing a vice presidential candidate said, I tell him to be careful about who he names to be head of the selection committee. And if you don't get it, uh, when George W. Bush went looking for a vice president, the head of the selection committee was Dick Cheney, who decided, remarkably enough, that the best man for the job was none other than Dick Cheney. Which I must say, he's maybe in his, in his last year of his presidency become a little bit more articulate than to, to say things like, Families is where our nation finds hope, where our wings take dream. And yes, that is an actual quote. Our statistic of the day, a record 56.7 million foreign tourists visited the U.S. last year, surpassing the previous record of 51.2 million set in 2000. That's according to the U.S. Commerce Department. Attracted partly by the bargains created by the dollar in free fall, tourists spend $122 billion here. That's according to the Associated Press. Our joke of the day is as follows. A lady found out her dog could hardly hear, so she took it to the vet. The vet said the problem was hair in its ears, so he cleaned out the ears and told her if she wanted to keep this from reoccurring, she should go to the store and get some hair remover and rub it in the ears monthly. She went to the store and got some. At the register, the druggist said, if you're going to use this under the arms, it's best not to use deodorant for a few days. He said, I'm, I'm not using it under my arms. So he said, well, if you're using it on your legs, it's best not to shave for a couple of days. He said, I'm not using it on my legs either. And if you must know, it's for my schnauzer. Oh, said the druggist. In that case, it's best if you stay off your bicycle for about a week. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week this week for Mean Girls after a study found that high school students who savage their peers by spreading rumors and excluding them from cliques are viewed by other kids as popular and well-liked. It was, on the other hand, kind of a bad week uh, a few weeks back for work excuses after a Washington state man was arrested for falsely reporting he was the victim of a drive-by shooting. 
Police said Daniel Kutch had a friend shoot him in the shoulder so he could avoid going to work and having to take a drug test. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for justice. After a Sicilian court ruled that an accused mafioso could go home because he was too fat for any jail in Italy. Salvatore Ferrante, who weighs in at 462 pounds, apparently couldn't get through prison doors, nor did he fit in any prison bed. So I guess in Italy they decided to just let Mr. Ferrante go home. Anyway, that's the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, from the Only in America file, we have the following. And Mr. Mugillon, we need some appropriate music for this one. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip That started from this tropic point aboard this tiny ship Yes, a couple weeks back, Don Wells, who played Marianne on Gilligan's Island, began serving six months of unsupervised probation after being caught with marijuana in her car. On October 18th, in Idaho, a sheriff's deputy arrested Wells as she was driving home from a surprise birthday party. According to the sheriff's report, he pulled Wells over after noticing her swerving and repeatedly speeding up and slowing down. When Gutierrez asked about the marijuana smell in her car, she said she'd just given a ride to three hitchhikers and dropped them off when they began smoking something. The deputy evidently found uh, a half-smoked joint and two cases used to store marijuana. Wells, 69, failed a sobriety test. She pled guilty to one count of reckless driving, and under a plea deal, three misdemeanor drug counts were dropped. This did not stop Don Wells from uh, being on the scene when, when the creator of uh, so-called TV comedy classics like Gilligan's Island and The Brady Bunch, that would be Sherwood Schwartz, got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And we're going to have to consult with our Hollywood correspondent about uh, what it takes to get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Judging by some of the folks that have gotten them in recent years, it appears you have to have only a moderate amount of fame and not necessarily any talent. But we would guess a few connections. We will investigate. And uh, speaking of dubious selections and uh, elections, uh, we need to say a word or two about what happened in Russia a few weeks back. Upon stepping uh, down from the, uh, the top post in Russia, uh, Vladimir Putin evidently ran his stooge, that being Dmitry Medvedev, to become the country's president-elect. Writing in Slate.com, Ann Applebaum uh, stated that you'd have to wonder why anyone bothered voting at all. The only viable opponent, the liberal former Prime Minister Mikhail Kasyanov, was disqualified. Instead, Medvedev was pitted against three carefully picked straw men. What was described as a clapped-out communist, a complete non-entity, and the ludicrous anti-Semite Vladimir Zhirinovsky. Medvedev held no press conferences, didn't debate his rivals, and spent only one day campaigning, yet he captured 70% of the vote. And no, as far as we know, there is no truth to the rumor that he did get some help from his brother, the governor of Vladivostok uh, province, Jeb Medvedev. But we do note that Andreas Gross, 
head of the delegation from the Parliamentary Assembly of the Councils of Europe, who monitored the Russian election. In fact, they were the only Western uh, monitoring group that was allowed to observe Russia's presidential election, pronounced it neither free nor fair. Said Andrei Buzin of the Russian monitoring group Golos, Russia's new political system, born in 1989, is now in a state of degradation and has been thrown back to Soviet times. Echoing that view was the editorial pages of the Boston Globe, which said that in his eight years in office, Vladimir Putin has transformed a fledgling democracy into an authoritarian state that braids together political, corporate, and secret police powers. He is not about to relinquish his grip. And yes, obviously, Vladimir Putin is still in charge of Russia and will be for quite some time. And uh, they had an election, if you want to call it that, in Iran recently as well. And although it appears there is quite a, quite a desire among the Iranian populace for some reform, uh, they, the reformists didn't really have much of a chance in, in the voting. Hundreds of their members, including high-profile candidates, had been removed from the ballot by the Guardian Council, a body of clerics and jurists that scrutinize candidates for loyalty to the country's Islamic Republic. And, uh, you know, they certainly do need some reform in Iran when you read about this item. Apparently, a gay Iranian man uh, who fears execution in Iran has lost his bid for asylum in the Netherlands. Apparently, last week, Mehdi Kazimi, 19, said his partner identified him to Iranian authorities before being executed for homosexual activity, a capital crime in Iran. Kazimi traveled to Britain to study in 2005, and while he was there, he learned that his boyfriend had been executed. He was denied asylum in Britain and fled to the Netherlands, but now he will probably return to Britain and possibly deported to Iran. The British Immigration Service refused to comment on Kazimi's case, saying it would not deport anyone who we believe to be at risk on their return. Well, uh, let's hope so. And, and how about this item from our good pals, the Chinese? Uh, China has mobilized a massive force of 600,000 volunteers to deter protesters during the Beijing Olympic Games in August. If we see petitioners or protesters carrying a banner, definitely we must stop them, one volunteer told the New York Times. Chinese authorities last week quashed a protest by Buddhist monks in Tibet, but the protesters from abroad may prove harder to muzzle. Dozens of international groups protesting everything from China's poor human rights record to the occupation of Tibet plan to attend the Games. And in a rather idiotic issue of international contention, we have this story. Evidently, the uh, New Republic, part of the former Republic of Yugoslavia, Macedonia, is not going to be allowed to join NATO until it resolves a dispute with Greece over its name. At first, it took the unwieldy name of Former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia, or FYROM, but in recent years, more than 120 countries, including the U.S., have recognized it as the Republic of Macedonia. But Greece has always said that using that name implies a claim to the northern Greek province of Macedonia. Greece said it will veto Macedonia's membership in NATO under that name. And this is surely not the finest moment in the history of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization which sort of by nef definition implies that the people that are members are cooperating with one another against a common aggressor. 
Sort of makes you understand why it was a Macedonian had to go south and conquer Greece before Greece could be unified and then embark on conquest itself. And yes, we're talking about the great Alexander. And speaking of conflict in the Eastern Mediterranean, <laughs> I must say I was um, quite a sh sort of shocked recently to note when, uh, when the Week magazine asked, as they often do, someone to comment on some great books, and the person they asked was Geraldo Rivera. I was somewhat dismayed to note that one of the books he chose was a book I was and am reading. That would be T.E. Lawrence's Seven Pillars of Wisdom. I am, I'm somewhat astonished uh, to find that it, you know, this book lives up to its reputation. It is extremely well written and, and just amazingly insightful as to the events that took place in the Arab Revolt, uh, part of World War I. I'm sure that most of you, uh, dear listeners, have probably seen the epic uh, David Lean film from 1962, the Oscar winner of that year, Lawrence of Arabia. But uh, I got to tell you, <laughs> the movie is wrong. It gets the major points wrong and uh, is only just, you know, a shadow of what uh, the true accounting of those events uh, could be. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I love the movie. It just doesn't do the story justice. Uh, I, I took a look at the Wikipedia entry for T.E. Lawrence and was just knocked out by uh, his insight in drawing the map of the Middle East as it might have been at the end of World War I. Uh, it's, I would really recommend, listeners, that you, that you actually go take a look at this. Um, Lawrence had a very excellent idea of the various uh, nationalities, ethnic groups, and what had been the Ottoman Empire. And his idea for how the lines should have been drawn make a lot of sense. Anyway, this is another story that we're going to have to return to in some future episode of this program because it is a truly uh, fascinating tale, both of what actually happened and what might have been. I'm not explaining this very well, I think, but, you know, uh, for example, Lawrence would have given Kurdistan, it's, uh, you know, would have created a Kurdistan, given the Kurds their own nation. What is today Saudi Arabia would have probably been uh, carved up several different ways. And it would be my guess that the various factions, uh, Shia versus Sunni, etc., would have, uh, you know, just had uh, fewer beefs had the lines been drawn a bit differently. One revelation about reading this book is that uh, Lawrence was a great believer in guerrilla warfare, noting how the judicious use of, uh, of a few uh, uh, guerrilla combatants could tie up much, much larger numbers of conventional forces, uh, a lesson that I think uh, we're, we're having to learn all over again uh, uh, based on what's going on in Iraq. And we'll return to the topic of Iraq in our third segment today, but I want to end um, uh, segment A here with this item, which I think is worth remarking on. This item surfaced last Thursday, Dateline Flagstaff, Arizona. Reporting for the Environmental News Service, it was noted that one of the great natural wonders of the world, that being the Grand Canyon of the Colorado River, is now threatened by uranium exploration. Three conservation groups filed a lawsuit challenging the approval of up to 39 new uranium drilling sites within a few miles of Grand Canyon National Park. Evidently, in December, the Kaibab National Forest granted the British firm Vane Minerals approval to conduct exploratory uranium drilling on national forest lands along the park's southern boundary with no public hearing and no environmental review. It's the first of five such projects slated for the area. 
We're going to have to bring our environmental correspondent, Jen Davidson, back to talk about that and the collapse of the Chinook salmon fisheries here on the West Coast, either next week or the week after. All right, let's take a short break and then come back and talk with Donald Prothero about the lack of missing links in the fossil record. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. We'll be back after a short break. Thank you. 